there's been a historically embedded disbelief of women in medicine for as long as conventional medicine has existed. I mean, this, we're talking about hundreds of years of bias against women. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 101 of That's So Maven. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Anne-Marie Gianni Skincare. You know I've talked about Anne-Marie Gianni before and absolutely love them. I use many of their products every single day. They make organic or wild-crafted skincare, all made from natural ingredients, so nothing in there that's going to be harmful for your body and is really, really effective. What I love about them is that it feels like you're getting high-quality luxury products for like a quarter of the price. And while it's not, you know, super cheap, you're getting what you pay for and more. And I absolutely love that. So I'm actually going to include a code in the show notes. It's just Maven15 and a link so that you can try out their sample kit, which is an awesome deal that they're offering to That So Maven listeners, where you're actually going to get three different serums. And right now they're doing a special where it's six different sample size serums. So you can try out all six of their different serums and it's only $10 plus free shipping. So you'll get all six of those travel size serums serums for $10, free shipping, and you'll actually be able to save $10 off a full-size order of any of the serums in the future. So it's a really, really good deal. It gives you an opportunity to try the different serums. I will say my absolute favorite is the probiotic serum, but that's just a personal favorite. I'll let you guys try out which ones you love. And again, it's just Maven15 for the code, and I will include a link in the show notes so that you can check out that travel sample pack there for you guys. But let's chat about today's episode. I know last week I had promised that we were kicking off that women's reproductive health series that I'm going to be launching here on the show. And well, that's definitely still happening starting next week. I have another episode. As I promised a few weeks ago, we were going to have Dr. Aviva Ram on the show and then scheduling things happened and I ended up delaying it and then forgot that it was supposed to go live this week. So today we're actually chatting with Dr. Aviva Ram, who is an incredible holistic and integrative MD, and she's also an herbalist and a midwife. That's her background. She is absolutely brilliant and an incredible educator when it comes to things like adrenal fatigue and thyroid health and taking care of women's endocrine systems and their hormones. So it actually ties in really well for the series that I'm going to be launching next week. We are chatting a lot about women's hormones and how to help them function at their best. So, you know, this could very well be the first episode of that series, but I'm technically starting it next week. So sorry about that. Sorry about the confusion. I think I have the schedule down right now. I'm sure Georgia, who helps schedule the podcast, is like, come on, Vita, get it together. But I'm doing my best here, guys, trying to stay on top of things. But regardless, they're all great conversations that are coming up that are all incredibly helpful. And I know I had mentioned in the past that adrenal fatigue is something that I have been struggling with. I've spent the last few months really trying to get a handle on it, making some changes in my lifestyle habits. That was the primary thing that I needed to change. And then also adding in different herbs and different supplements to help protect my body. Something that I haven't done a whole lot of is shift my diet. I'm someone who eats pretty healthy most of the time, but I still leave room for those fun things. And for me, 
the trade-off between, you know, being stricter with my diet versus the benefits of having like a super clean diet, it, it just ends up, you know, wreaking havoc mentally that it isn't really worth it for me. Um, so I do my best to try and keep my blood sugar stable and all that jazz, which you're going to hear more about on the show. But again, for me, I do a little bit better not being, you know, super planful. I think that's the right word, planful with my diet. I just, I like to to be a little bit more easygoing with that kind of stuff. But yeah, we're going to be chatting all about the difference between adrenal fatigue and thyroid dysfunction, the different illnesses that are out there, how to get tested, how to take better care of your endocrine system through lifestyle changes, as well as some supplements, diet changes, and herbal medicine that you can incorporate to take better care of your health. So stay tuned until the end of the episode for some notes, some PSAs. I think I've got my ducks in a row for all that good stuff, but hang out till the end and you'll hear who's coming up next and all that jazz. And yeah, let's jump into today's episode. Here's Aviva. Hi, Aviva. Welcome to the show. Hi, Davida. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be able to speak with you today and to be chatting about adrenal fatigue and about our thyroids. And I feel like this is a topic that women especially need to know more about. And you are an expert in the field. So I'm honored to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. And thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk with you about it because it is, like you say, so central for women's wellness. Absolutely. So for people who are unfamiliar with you or don't know a whole lot about your journey, can you share a bit more about who you are? Yeah. So I am a mom of four, actually a grandmom of two, which the cool thing, um, aside from being a grandmom, is that I got to actually midwife my grandkids at home. And that brings me to the fact that I was a midwife for 25 years and an herbalist, then got my MD at Yale. So now I'm a practicing women's and kids integrative functional medicine doctor, have written a bunch of books. I was writing about home birth and natural childcare starting back in the 80s when my kids were little and have now written a bunch more books, a botanical women's textbook and my latest book, which is, as you brought up, about adrenals and thyroid called The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. And I still practice and see patients too. Amazing. So I want to ask, you know, at what point in your journey were you, you know, you're practicing as a midwife, you're an herbalist. What made you decide to pursue your MD? Mm. It's kind of a life journey story. I actually grew up in New York City. I grew up in a housing project. I'm the first woman in my family to finish college. And from a really early age, well, from like the time I can remember, I was a super science geek, like even in first grade entering science fairs, I love nature and I love science. So by the time I was in like fourth grade, I knew I wanted to be a doctor and I went to college when I was 15, started studying pre-med and that was, that was 1981 and that was the year I got exposed to just before it was even called alternative medicine, there wasn't even a name for it. I just got exposed to natural living and organics and herbal medicine and women's health and women's studies. And I just, I was hooked. And so I left school, apprenticed and pursued to be a midwife and an herbalist, practiced that for a really long time. And as that started to get to be a little bit more, not mainstream, but interesting to sort of the general public, I started to teach a lot more 
become more in the public eye, was being asked to speak at medical conferences, and felt like there was a really clear power differential between sort of the MD world and everyone else. And I wanted to have the authority that I feel like our culture at that time really kind of almost required to buy into what I was saying without me sort of having to justify myself. And that combined with the fact that at the time, the cesarean section rate was already getting high. And that was when we were talking in like the mid 20%. Now we're at 34%. Families were being told they couldn't get medical care if they were choosing to do alternative things with their kids. Um, There was a lot like the hysterectomy rate was so that 50% of all women over 60 had had a hysterectomy. So many abuses of the system against women that I also felt like in order to really change the system, I had to speak the language and be recognized as that credential. So I went back to school, finished my pre-meds again, um, reapplied, and then ended up going to med school. And it's actually been amazing because I have really been able to kind of bridge those worlds, speak to the medical community in a way that's relatable and also start to make change for women. So that's kind of the journey and um, it's, it's an unusual one, but it's been an amazing one. Well, I'm so grateful for people like you who are helping to bridge that gap because I'm someone who also, you know, loves alternative medicine. I'm in herbalism school right now. I am very passionate about this stuff. But at the same time, there is so much value in conventional medicine. And there's no reason that why they have to exist in this like binary universe, like it's one or the other. There really needs to be an integration of both. And I'm seeing more of that happening now. But people like you are making that possible. Yeah, thank you. And also, you know, the now that the alternative side has become so much more mainstream, it's really interesting. And I didn't expect this to be the case. But I mean, just to give you an example, I got a call from an old friend today who has a family member with um, a diagnosis of Lyme disease, but no provable Lyme disease on any of the family members testing. And this person has gone to multiple integrative MDs who are giving so many off-label pharmaceuticals, like using medications for tuberculosis and leprosy to treat Lyme when there's not, the evidence isn't there that that's really safe or effective. And it's cost this person already like $40,000 out of pocket. And so I didn't expect you know, the flip side where I'm also using the knowledge I have from my more conventional training to have a little bit higher discrimination to be able to recognize when some of the alternative therapies are actually off the mark, because I'm seeing that more and more too. Absolutely. So at what point did you develop an interest in our adrenals and our thyroid? You know, where, where did that stem from for you? Well, I've always been interested in women's hormones. And so adrenals and thyroid are a really important part of the endocrine system, the hormone system. So women's hormones, you know, our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, our menstrual cycles, fertility, menopause, all of that's tied up in the health of the entire system, the entire hormone system. You can't really separate one from the other. I think my interest in the adrenals really got super strong 
in maybe like the mid 1990s. That's when I actually taught my first class on adaptogens. And then I remember in 1999, right before the millennium, people were freaking out like the sky was going to fall, or at least like airplanes were going to fall out of the sky. One of the big newsstand magazines contacted me and said, um, what herb, if any herb, would you put in the American water supply to calm people down for, you know, the millennium? And I said, ashwagandha. <laughs> and it was kind of prophetic in a way, because it's now like a $200 million a year industry for that herb alone. And we've seen what's gone crazy with adaptogens. But back then I started to look at how much of the stress response gets activated by modern living and really how many branches come off of that stress response in our general health. Then around um, maybe five years ago, I started noticing some commonalities in my women patients. They were saying things like, you know, I feel like I'm at the end of my rope or I'm just hanging on by a thread. And one of the commonalities along those lines was women telling me, I feel like I'm stuck in survival mode or I feel like I'm stuck in the on position and I can't turn off. And as I was testing these women's cortisol, which is the hormone produced by the adrenals that's meant to sort of help us, it's a survival hormone and their thyroid, I was finding a lot of these women who were really coming to me for autoimmune conditions, Hashimoto's, which is also an autoimmune condition, uh, chronic digestive problems, including things like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, but also IBS, fertility problems, endometriosis, like across the board, there were very few patients where I couldn't tease out one of the threads being either something going on in their thyroid or something going on with their stress response or both. So that got me to take a, an even deeper dive into all of the physiology around adrenals, all of the physiology around thyroid health and start to make these connections. And while adrenal, what's called adrenal fatigue is a little bit of a misnomer because the adrenals don't actually get fatigued. There's a very real phenomenon of overwhelm, exhaustion, high levels of stress and burnout that happen. And there's a pathway that happens through the adrenals, the brain and the adrenals that contribute to a tremendous amount of the chronic physical symptoms that many of us are experiencing and chronic diseases and then with the thyroid, it turns out that about 30 million Americans, people in the U.S., and at least 80%, if not more, of those are women, are struggling with thyroid problems, usually underactive thyroid, like hypothyroidism or the autoimmune version, which is Hashimoto's. And it's also estimated that another equal 50% of that number. So probably another 15 million women, or at least mostly women are dealing with these symptoms and have no idea that they have a thyroid problem. There's a lot of issues around discrepancies in the testing and the um, standards that are used for testing. So a lot of times this gets missed and women are exhausted, they're depressed, they're gaining weight out of nowhere, even though they've been, you know, they haven't changed their diet, they haven't changed their exercise, they haven't just given birth or something like that. And their hair is falling out, they're dealing with anxiety, sleep problems, aches and pains, and they're being told they're completely fine. And so this is also, um, these are both symptoms or syndromes, I'll say, and conditions that kind of fall into this rubric of what are called invisible illnesses. So women have them. They have all these symptoms, but they're told they're fine or they're kind of told in one way or another, either directly 
or with a diagnosis of anxiety or depression that it's in their head. So a lot of women are just living, and some men are just living in silent struggle, thinking there's something wrong with them mentally when they've actually got these really, you know, very concrete physical things going on. So what are some of the options out there for figuring out, like, if this is what's happening with your body? Like, conventionally, let's say you go to the doctor, you're feeling pretty burnt out, you're gaining weight, you're you're tired. How would they test for that? Ideally, if someone's tired, for example, then we want to just not assume it's thyroid or adrenals. We want to do a good, full simple but comprehensive workup. So for example, women, particularly if they have fibroids or endometriosis or hormone imbalances of any kind where they're having heavy periods, could be losing a substantial amount of blood and iron every month. And so iron deficiency anemia can cause fatigue, depression, anxiety, heart palpitations, a lot of some of the symptoms that might also look like an adrenal situation or a slow functioning thyroid. So you want to check for iron deficiency anemia. Also, it's always good to check for something like an autoimmune disease. So you can get a simple test called an ANA. It's anti-nuclear antibody with reflex. That's the name of the test, ANA with reflex, because a lot of autoimmune conditions, you can have fatigue, depression, aches and pains, kind of a subtle feeling of like, I just don't feel right. And that gets missed a lot also. In fact, in the United States, it takes women on average four years and five doctors to get an appropriate diagnosis of autoimmune disease. So getting that work up right out of the gate is good too. And then there's some other things, like it's always good to check for something like, you know, this would be rare, but if you're going to get your iron checked, get a complete blood count so that you can look for any outlying weird problems like a leukemia or something like that. Again, that would be the more rare thing. And then some basic vitamins like B12 and vitamin D. But then also you want to get a comprehensive thyroid panel. So that would include tests called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. You want to get a free T3, free T4. Those are the two active thyroid hormones. And then you want to get an antibody panel, which any doctor will know what that is. You just want a thyroid antibody panel. And that, depending on what the results are and the various kind of combination of results that you would get, can give you a very clear picture of what's going on with the thyroid. Now, adrenal testing gets a little bit more controversial. So there are true adrenal diseases like Addison's disease and Kahn's or Cushing's. These are some of the true, when there's pretty serious adrenal dysfunction going on that's medically measurable and medically recognized. And for that, you usually get cortisol testing, sometimes something called an ACTH challenge, and sometimes a few other tests. But from a kind of more alternative perspective, you can still run a 24-hour cortisol test And you can also get a salivary cortisol test. And that's what I usually do in my practice to start out with. You get um, little tubes that you spit in and you do it four times a day. You do it when you wake up, you do it late morning, you do it mid-afternoon or late afternoon. You know, a lot of that three o'clock crash that people get, that's kind of around Mm -hmm. the time you're checking the cortisol. And then you do one around midnight because the cortisol has a very specific curve that it should follow throughout the day into the night. And that can give you a good indication. Now that is only partially reliable because it's going to be very sensitive to how you're feeling during that day. So let's say you had a job interview the next day, or let's say you're a nursing mama and you had a terrible night's sleep because your baby's teething. So the night before you didn't get great sleep, that would be reflected, but it's still a good place to start. 
And if you're concerned that you have very significant adrenal problems, maybe not full-on adrenal disease, that's when I would get a 24-hour urine cortisol. And again, any doctor, naturopath, nurse practitioner can run that. But that's sort of the general battery of tests. If the cortisol, if any of those cortisol tests that I mentioned came back really, truly off the chain, abnormal, that's when you'd want to see a doctor who can, or a nurse practitioner who can measure the more concerning cortisol tests, which are again, that 24 hour urine and then something called an ACTH challenge. So those are the basic, I know it sounds complicated, but it's pretty straightforward. Most practitioners will kind of like know what that is. So, you know, I found that when you go to the doctor sometimes and you bring up that you're struggling with some of these symptoms and let's focus on adrenal fatigue, for example, there are some doctors or some, you know, practitioners in the conventional medical field who don't fully believe in the concept of adrenal fatigue. Why do you think that is? Well, the term again, adrenal fatigue is a bit of a misnomer. So what happens is there are diseases where the adrenals just don't function. They stop working basically. And those are life-threatening conditions. But when we're experiencing this stress response and it starts to get out of hand, there are definite phenomena that happen in the adrenals. But it's not adrenal fatigue. It's not that the adrenals over time stop working. What's actually happening is your brain is really, really genius. And your brain knows that when you start producing too much cortisol over too long a period of time, or even if you're kind of up and down with spikes and dips, cortisol medically has a nickname and it's called the wear and tear hormone. So it's a survival hormone and it, you know, it's great for focus, for keeping your blood sugar steady. Like there are all these things that it does when it's functioning normally. It fights inflammation. It really keeps us alive, truly. But over time, if you're getting too much exposure to this, what's called this wear and tear hormone, you start to have really significant consequences. Like you can get insulin resistance. You can get muscle wasting where your muscle starts to actually break down. You can get bone loss because cortisol increases your bone turnover. So you can even get osteoporosis and fractures. It can affect your cognitive function. It can cause high blood pressure. And the list goes on and high cholesterol. The the list really goes on and on. So your brain in its wisdom says, well, I've got to protect her from this chronic wear and tear. So your brain actually puts the kibosh on the thyroid. It's, I mean, sorry, the adrenals to stop producing so much cortisol so that you don't get damaged by the effects. The problem is then when you're producing too little cortisol, you get other effects like your immune system can't protect you as well. So you start getting sick more often or your body can't fight inflammation as well. So you start to have more aches, pains, joint problems, and even things like autoimmune disease because the immune system starts to get dysfunctional or dysregulated. You can have problems with regulating your blood sugar and your insulin. You can start to get things like low blood pressure. So a lot of people who have pretty significant adrenal dysfunction feel dizzy when they stand up or really weak a lot of the time. So when when we're in medical school, we pretty much are taught a variety of tr- not truisms that we're taught that are true. And one is that disease is very black and white. You can either measure it and it exists, but if you can't measure it, 
it doesn't exist. There's very little gray area, right? So someone can come in with a borderline thyroid test, right? Like they're just close to not normal and they feel awful because for that person, that slightly not normal is actually causing significant symptoms. And you go in and let's say the cutoff for normal is 4.2 on a conventional medical test and you're at 4.0, but you feel terrible. But the doctor looks at that test and says, oh, but you don't have a thyroid problem because it's normal. With adrenals, there's really no gray area that's medically recognized. So you either have one of these serious diseases or you're fine, according to conventional medicine. The other thing that happens in conventional medicine, which I kind of can understand in the sense that I've had a lot of patients who have come to me with what are kind of garbage can diagnoses sometimes, like I told you, my friend's family member who like has depression, a lot of joint aches and pains, fatigue, and gets this diagnosis of Lyme disease, even though there's no measurable Lyme disease. I've had patients who have come to me who have been on thyroid medication for years that an alternative practitioner put them on, but never did normal thyroid testing, like never did any blood work and just said, oh, based on your symptoms or based on muscle testing, you have a thyroid problem. So the more kind of the alternative stuff becomes mainstream, the more a lot of doctors get their back up about it because all of us have seen the things that weren't really good diagnoses too. So when you start to read all these books, you know, like there are a lot of books on the market or people selling supplements left and right, I think it starts to make conventional doctors also get more skeptical. The other thing is that there's been a historically embedded disbelief of women in medicine for as long as conventional medicine has existed. I mean, this, we're talking about hundreds of years of bias against women. So even well into the 1900s, there was a diagnosis called hysteria. And interesting, hysteria is the Greek word that means uterus. And this was a diagnosis applied to women. And pretty much every condition in the book, like if a woman had chronic pelvic pain, we wouldn't have been able to diagnose her with endometriosis a hundred years ago because we didn't have a name for it. She would have been diagnosed as having hysteria and dismissed. Even having a baby out of marriage, you could have been diagnosed with hysteria and institutionalized. So there's this really deep embedded negativity toward women about what are, I'm doing air quotes here, complaints when there isn't something measurable. So this dismissal of women for these sort of vague, like, I don't feel well, something's wrong, but a doctor can't measure its symptoms. And a lot of times these borderline thyroid situations, these adrenal situations, even autoimmune diseases fall into that for a long time. And a lot of times people can have symptoms for years before lab tests show up as positive. And sometimes we don't have lab tests yet to document something. So classic examples of this are both chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And I remember when these diagnoses came on the scene in the 1980s, anyone who said they had something like that was basically, I mean, you could literally go to your doctor and get an eye roll and your doctor would talk about you to the other doctors in the practice behind your back as like, oh, she's that patient. Because there was no recognition of any of the physiology or pathophysiology, like there was no measurable kind of like markers that said this is a real problem. But now we know like people with fibromyalgia have differences in how their nerves respond to things. 
at least 80, if not 95% of people with these, all these conditions that I'm talking about are women. And so we have even a very recent history of diseases that were completely dismissed as BS in women's heads, or even worse, that women were making them up to get some benefit from it, like time off from work or not having to do housework, all these kinds of things that you actually see written up in the medical literature. Migraines are another example. Women, even into the 1970s, who had migraines were described as type A working women who didn't want to accept their role as homemakers or who didn't want to have sex with their husbands. And like, this is actually in the medical literature. So long answer to your question, but this is a lot of why these conditions are just completely dismissed. Something that comes up for me hearing you talk about this is, you know, there are so many women, women in particular, who are struggling with these things. And it it makes me think about the fact that our culture and the way we've designed our culture, especially in North American society, is really around men and how men operate and not around like, you know, a woman's 28 day cycle, if they're menstruating, and you know, how sensitive our hormones are, and our stress levels, and where we are in our cycle really depends on our ability to function at these different levels. And our society is not run on a 28 day cycle, it's very much run on a 24 hour cycle, which is how a man's body and their hormones are processed. So I'm curious if you think there's some kind of connection between how and, you know, I'm I'm throwing this out there because this just came up for me, but how we, you know, culture has been designed and why women might be struggling with so many of these different illnesses. Yeah, it's such a great conversation. So I think there are a lot of points here. So one is that I think that as women, we grow up with so many microaggressions against us and so many, not just microaggressions. I mean, think of the volume of women. I mean, not to get morbid here, but like a woman is raped every nine seconds in the United States uh, or every nine minutes, sorry, every nine minutes in the United States, at least 25% of women experience some form of overt sexual abuse or assault when they're young. And then all of the kind of insidious ways that our culture causes us to just live with fear that we assume is normal, right? Like when my husband goes into a parking garage late at night, he doesn't really think twice about it. And I can remember being in medical school and medical residency, keeping crazy hours and having to walk into the parking lot at night. And just that kind of feeling that comes over us as women that men never experience. And I think it's so pervasive that we just assume like that back being up or the little anxieties that we have that are real, like they're real threats to us are normal. So I think just by being women, our stress response is amplified as kind of our baseline anyway. And then women who have experienced trauma, which interestingly, when you look at the studies on women and trauma, higher rates of IBS, higher rates of inflammatory bowel diseases, higher rates of autoimmune disease, higher rates of depression and anxiety in women who have had sexual trauma. So you you start to add all these things into the mix of like what we're just dealing with, just being women every day that we don't even think about, but definitely influences our physical health. Then all of the multitasking we're expected to do, 
And then you add all of the environmental triggers that are affecting our hormones that are sort of invisible. But as women, we are much more apt than men to put on 15 or 20 body products by the time we leave the house, including our soap, which goes all over our body. And most people are using soaps that have um, endocrine disruptors in them. And then our shampoo and our conditioner and our body lotion and all the different cosmetics. And all these little insults not only affect our endocrine system, so we know that they increase estrogen, we know that they affect our hormone levels, but all of that's tied into how we feel. So for example, changes in our estrogen levels also affect our stress levels. And these environmental chemicals also have now been directly shown to trigger the adrenals. So we know that they can act as toxins to the adrenal gland and cause differences in our cortisol production. And many of them act as direct um, toxins to our thyroid. And it really is in so many ways, I think it's so hard for so many women to, you know, I don't want to dichotomize or like make too binary women and men and feminine and masculine. I mean, I'm actually like on a scale of like a, a typical, you know, feminine qualities or classical feminine qualities. Like I don't necessarily fit into that frilly girl kind of demographic. I know a lot of women who are much more, you know, high achieving financially, even than their male partners. So I don't want to dichotomize too much. I think that we are all as human beings male, female, non-binary, you know, whatever we are and however we identify, we fall on a spectrum of personality. That said, you know, as you said, um, women can't just take off for two or three days a month before their periods if they're experiencing significant period symptoms, which all of these other triggers that I've mentioned can really cause. Like 80% of women struggle with some amount of PMS and 15% of women struggle with enough premenstrual syndrome to have to miss work. And ditto that for menstrual pain, endometriosis pain. And so we know that these hormonal problems have actually been statistically associated with women's careers being less advanced if they're struggling with, you know, they can't go up the ladder because they're missing work. So they're not promoted as much or they're not getting equal pay, partly if they're always having to miss work. So it's really, really so deep how these gender operatives happen in our culture, these sort of biases that as women, we're all living with. Absolutely. And, you know, something comes up for me, which is the idea of this like pressure. And as women, we have so much pressure on ourselves just to perform and succeed in society and to take on all of these roles. And I'm curious, you know, what are some of these lifestyle habits that can perpetuate, whether it's adrenal fatigue or thyroid issues, you know, what are some of these lifestyle habits that, you know, it could be women, but just people in general tend to take on that can perpetuate some of these illnesses? Yeah. So, you know, before I jump into that, I just want to say that um, most of the reason people take on these lifestyle habits is because we live in such a consumer driven productivity oriented culture. And the reality is that it costs a fortune to live now. I mean, just people covering their health insurance, people covering their monthly rent or mortgage, the costs of food are so astronomical that I think that right there drives so much stress and so much pressure to constantly be doing more and being more 
And workplace pressures now are so demanding that, you know, if you're not the person that's going to check your text messages from your workplace, you know, 16 hours a day, quite literally, you might not be the person that gets the promotion or gets to stay when they downsize. So there's a lot of pressure to constantly be on. And then you add to that some traits that a lot of us, particularly women, develop over the course of our lives for a variety of reasons. And two of the biggest traits that I would say I see women develop are perfectionism and then kind of like a good girl complex. And then I would guess the third one would be like a martyr complex, if you will. And I think these have a positive side, like people are very high achieving. That's a beautiful thing. People are really wanting to please other people. That's a beautiful thing. People really want to serve and help other people. And that's a beautiful thing. But when those traits get turned on, you know, to like the top volume and we can't turn them off, that desire to be really excellent at things can become this perfectionism that drives us so hard that we end up taking on and saying yes to everything and pushing ourselves to the limit. And I was just talking with a woman the other day. She's super accomplished. Like she was a top government official under one of the recent wonderful administrations. Yes, I did just add a little (laughs) But she and I were chatting the other day and she's in her 50s. She's super accomplished. And she was saying even when she just watches a TV show at night to relax after a full day of work, she feels like she should be doing something else. And I don't really know any women. Like when I teach conferences and I ask that question to my audience – when you relax at night, is there some part of your brain feeling like you should be working or you should be learning something or you should be doing and every hand in the room goes up. So there's that perfectionism that can cause us to never stop, never hit pause, to feel guilty even about self-care. So for those women, I find that learning to hit pause, like having permission to pause is really important. For women who feel like They always kind of have to please be the people pleaser. Again, I mean, statistics show that if you're at a board meeting or you're at the PTA or you're amongst a group of people and you're that person, which is almost always a woman, and the boss says or who the leader says, I need someone who's going to do this report by Monday and it's like Friday at four o'clock and you've already got, you know, to take your kids somewhere or your mom somewhere or you've got a wedding to go to that person is still the most likely to raise their hand and say, I'll do it, even if they're at the end of their rope. And so for those women in my medical practice, I often include learning how to say no, um, or let me think about that and I'll get back to you and then say no, um, as part of their literal prescription that I put in their note. And for the woman who's the server, like the person who is a healer a lot of times or who is very politically active and kind of like that social warrior, there's often that need to feel like the work is never done. There's always someone else to help. And that's, again, such a beautiful thing. But a lot of times that person can put off their own needs as if their own needs aren't valid because the only valid thing is to help other people. And a lot of these traits come from experiences we have when we're young and those traits act as really great survival tools. Like I mentioned earlier, I went to college at 15, but being really smart and really high achieving was a beautiful thing. It was also a way out of a housing project when I applied to college at 14. So it's it's knowing like these things that can help us really survive and succeed in the world, but recognizing 
when they are counterproductive or maladaptive. And a lot of that is what drives some of the dysfunction in the adrenals and the thyroid. That said, sometimes dysfunction in the adrenals and the thyroid can drive those traits, right? If you're producing too much adrenaline and too much cortisol, it can be hard to say no because you're amped up. Um, it can be hard to sleep because you're amped up. So then you get up and you do more work. So it's these vicious cycles, but learning to recognize what's driving you. And I also think just for so many of us, Davida, like we're living in our heads and we forget to just drop into our bodies and really feel how we feel that just spending more time tuning into our bodies, whether it's doing yoga or just sitting outside under a tree, if it's warm enough and dry enough, or uh, meditation, journaling, any of these things that get us to get quieter and feel where we are in the moment and be present can start to help break those cycles. I couldn't agree more with all of that. And I feel like I've been in every single one of those positions. And learning to say no has been such an incredible skill, but so difficult to cultivate. I will say like, it's easier said than done. I do think that like, we all need to get better at saying no. And I admire people who like have the strength to do it because it's something that I'm still working on. I think it can be difficult when we live in a culture that's all about yes. And, you know, taking on more and doing more. We really praise people who who do more and who kind of make themselves appear superhuman. And so to be the person who's like, no, I'm I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to take care of myself actually requires a lot more strength, but it's not something that we value as much in our society. So it can be a hard, it, it has to be internally motivated. And totally, we live in a society that kind of thrives on external motivation. So it's tricky. But I, I want to touch on some of the other things that we can do for our bodies, because of course, changing lifestyle habits, reducing your stress, saying no, taking things off your plate, that is all incredibly helpful. But sometimes, you know, you've just driven your body so far down into the ground, you need a little help getting back up. So what are some foods or supplements that you recommend for people who have maybe been struggling with adrenal fatigue or thyroid? I know that probably looks different for each of those, but, you know, just some overall general tips for people who are looking to get a bit more support from some of these external things. Absolutely. So if somebody truly has driven their thyroid into the ground, and I don't want to make it sound like they did it, but if if like modern life has driven their thyroid into the ground, for a substantial number of people, that is something that will take thyroid medication to get them feeling really great again. Not for everyone. So it depends on, you know, how long your thyroid function's been down for, how severely off the market is. And often you can try other things first. Um, for but for for all aspects of of the endocrine system and especially that stress response system there are some very specific nutritional things that we can do one is and this is so important for women is keeping our blood sugar balanced so particularly for the adrenals one of the things that gets the adrenals stressed out and producing more cortisol and more adrenaline is low blood sugar because the brain reads that as a four alarm fire. So your brain uses about 25% of your daily intake of glucose, your the sugar intake from your diet, no matter, even if you're resting and your brain is using an enormous amount of sugar and your entire organism is designed to keep your brain alive basically. 
And so when your brain registers low blood sugar, it goes into DEFCON 1 and it makes you hangry and shaky and unable to focus. And it just makes you become sort of like completely 100% focused on getting some sugar or some carbs. And that's where we get that like intense drive when our blood sugar gets low. So it, the reason this happens is that it's a primitive survival mechanism to keep your brain healthy, but also famine you know, in sort of an evolutionary terms, 10,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, and even less, famine would have been a major survival threat to us as a species. So your brain tells your adrenals to produce more cortisol, and that causes you to store more fat so that you essentially like you're putting away reserves if you need it. So keeping our blood sugar steady by not skipping meals and making sure that with each meal, and if you need a snack, a snack, is very nutrient-dense, particularly good quality protein and good quality fat. And that one thing alone, and so many women are so busy in the morning, they grab a smoothie and then don't eat again until two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, they're hungry, they're kind of jonesing around for a muffin or something or an energy bar. Uh, a lot of women skip breakfast altogether and have coffee and then finally eat maybe a salad at lunch. And so we're operating generally on this kind of low blood sugar level that chronically activates the stress response. So that is key. Another thing that we can do is to make sure that we're getting a really good overall nutrient intake. So studies have shown that most women in most states in the United States are getting only 14 to 16% of their daily requirement of fruits and vegetables. And that's the CDC and federal government daily requirement. So that's about the lowest standard that they're even comparing it to. So, you know, if we're 14 to 16% of bare minimum, we're really far from optimal. And these are big national studies that have been done by like the Centers for Disease Control. So making sure that we're getting six to eight servings of fruits and vegetables every day. And it sounds like a lot, but it's really not. So let's say you had a smoothie in the morning and you put in um, two carrots, uh, a, a cup of greens and a banana or an apple or half a cup of blueberries. I mean, you're getting four or five servings of vegetables right there. Then let's say you had a couple of like cups, like a good bowl size of salad for lunch, you're getting another couple of cups of vegetables there. And so then you have a green vegetable for dinner and you've really gotten it. But it is a matter of like being mindful of getting that. And then as much as there's a lot of criticism of supplementation out there in the general kind of media and medical literature, the reality is basic supplementation does work. I mean, if it didn't work, we wouldn't fortify foods with folic acid, right? I mean, this is something the federal government does. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy that it's like, yeah, it doesn't work, but it does. The reality is it does work. And a lot of the supplements that people are taking for treating medical conditions by their alternative provider may be more than they need. But most women do really well with what I just call the daily dose. And that's a basic multivitamin, 2000 units of vitamin D3 every day, about 350 to 500 milligrams of magnesium, and then a fish oil um, supplement, a DHA, EPA, because unless you're eating really like three portions of salmon a week, you're probably not getting enough fish oil. And that is such 
a fabulous core combination that you can get affordably. And it will really bridge what's called the phytonutrient gap. It's that gap between what we need from plants that our ancestors got and what we're actually getting. And that's important. Just for example, the um, adrenals use up a ton of vitamin C producing cortisol, and they also use a lot of magnesium and B-complex vitamins. So when you're under chronic stress, you're burning through those faster. And so just providing those in the diet and providing those through a core basic supplement can really make a difference. And then also the thyroid requires a number of nutrients that a lot of women are low in. So most women are low in iodine. Again, vitamin D we need for healthy thyroid function. In fact, some studies have shown that supplementing vitamin D can actually reverse hypothyroidism in Hashimoto's. And selenium is another one that we're often low in and our soil is very depleted of it. So I know it's a little bit more expensive, but as much as people can go organic, it's actually a cost savings because for every organic orange you eat, you're actually getting more vitamin C. So you might be getting a six to one, actually, if you're getting organic. But the other thing is kind of a pay now or pay later situation. And if you learn to shop really well, you can kind of average out the cost of things. But organic produce is going to help you, and organic meat and dairy, if you eat meat and dairy, is going to help you avoid a lot of the environmental toxins that I mentioned that can affect the adrenals and the thyroid and also gives you more nutrition. So those are a few of the things that you can do nutritionally and supplement-wise. And then, you know, I've spent most of my adult life, actually over almost 38 years now as an herbalist. And I think herbal medicines provide us with a lot of missing links that our foods don't provide us with because they have a lot of plant chemicals that our bodies evolved with as we've evolved on the planet that cultivated foods don't have anymore or that are just unique to the plant kingdom. And we have to remember like some of our most important foods are plants, which is just another form of herbs, right? And so getting some herbs, whether it's culinary herbs, can help provide some of these missing link nutrients that are called phytochemicals. But also the adaptogens are such an interesting addition to supporting our adrenal health. But also ashwagandha, for example, has been shown to be beneficial for thyroid health. In fact, improving thyroid function in some small studies. So the adaptogens are herbs like ashwagandha, which I've mentioned, holy basil, rhodiola, American ginseng. Um, these are just a few of the maybe eight or 10 that have really good, strong studies behind them and can help to support the adrenals. The one caveat to that is that some of the adaptogens are more gentle, like reishi mushroom. All of the medicinal mushrooms are adaptogens. Reishi mushroom and ashwagandha are very gentle. They're not stimulating at all. So if you're more burnt out and exhausted, or if you're kind of tired and wired and you need something that calms you down, then actually starting with the calming and nourishing adaptogens is better than starting with the stimulating ones. Like it might be tempting to think, oh, I'm really tired, so I should take some ginseng. But it's a little bit like I'm really tired, let me drink some coffee as opposed to I'm really tired, let me take a nap and then I'll feel better. So the the more gentle adaptogens are soothing and calming and nourishing and are a great way to start to restore. 
if you've tried adaptogens and they've been too much for you, that may be just really, really crispy. That's when starting with the magnesium, the B-complex, the vitamin C, there's something else called phosphatidylserine, which is a fatty acid that is also very nourishing for the adrenals. And those are all non-stimulating, completely non-stimulating. They're not adaptogens. They just repair and replace some of the nutrients that have been used up due to chronic stress. And the adaptogens are wonderful in that you can include many of them in smoothies, in foods, or you can take them as tinctures or as pills or capsules. Amazing. And I'm glad to hear I'm I'm on the right track. I take a tincture every day that has rhodiola and licorice root in it, as well as ashwagandha and all that good stuff. So I love that. And I also, in the last few months, started taking magnesium, and I have noticed a huge difference. I'd heard people talk about how magnesium was really helpful, and women especially were deficient in it. But since incorporating it, I'm like, wow. What have you noticed? I'm just calmer. I sleep better. Also, my bowel movements are great. (laughs) It helps a lot with that. I take it at night and the next morning. Well, I also, in conjunction, gave up coffee, which I want to have a quick discussion about. I just, I found that it was really wreaking havoc on my adrenals. And I was starting to get like really overstimulated in a way that a cup of coffee never affected me before. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take this as a sign that my body is not doing well with any kind of stimulant at the moment. And so I eliminated that, but I definitely depended on it to go to the bathroom. And since incorporating magnesium, it's like, I got no problem at all. So it's been really helpful. So let's chat a little bit about coffee and your thoughts on coffee and our hormones. So coffee is really interesting. It's probably the most popular herbal medicine in the world, I would venture to say. (laughs) And it's very effective as a stimulant. And It actually has some chemical compounds in it that can be fantastic for brain health. So for women in their 50s and older who aren't having sleep troubles, which is a rarer bird actually because a lot of women start to have sleep troubles after perimenopause and menopause, but for women who aren't troubled by it, Actually, it can be fabulous for cognitive function in our older years. But for younger women and for most of our like menstrual cycling years, it is really overstimulating. We know that it increases cortisol a little bit. It can increase adrenaline and it can jack up our insulin. So all of those three things together can, over the long haul, disrupt hormone function. The studies are a little bit controversial. For example, um, we do know that over 150 micrograms of caffeine a day may increase the risk of miscarriage, but interestingly hasn't been shown in pretty comprehensive studies to reduce fertility. The studies have been controversial around the effects on endometriosis. Some studies saying women who drink more coffee may have more likelihood of endometriosis symptoms versus women who don't, but that hasn't been conclusively proven. For women with PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, I think it's particularly troublesome because it does jack up that insulin and insulin problems are part of the picture with endometriosis. And definitely women have told me for decades that if they have PMS, caffeine just wreaks havoc. It just makes it worse. But also women who get like cyclic breast lumps or cyclic breast pain, menstrual cramps tend to find that it's worse when they are drinking coffee compared to when they're not. And I think for a lot of women, it's just, it really, caffeine is a really powerful drug. And so for a lot of women, it drops their blood sugar, makes them feel agitated, irritable, often because of that blood sugar drop, then makes them crave 
something, you know, quick energy like carbs or sugar. And then so many women struggle with sleep problems. I mean, half of all women are documented to struggle with sleep problems, like significant enough that are affecting their lives in a pretty big way. So anything that's going to make your sleep worse can affect so many aspects of your hormone health. Your hormone health is your cortisol, your thyroid, estrogen, progesterone, it's all completely dependent on having a healthy circadian rhythm. So coffee can mess with that. So I always say, you know, listen to your body, but you have to be honest with yourself because so many women are like, oh, I'm not addicted to coffee. And then I'm like, okay, let's let's give it up for six weeks. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of those people. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's one of the easier addictions, if you will, to, to get over. I mean, I really have very rarely ever had a patient or even working with tens of thousands of women in online programs programs, seen a coffee withdrawal like situation last more than four days. Usually if you're drinking one cup a day, it's pretty easy, not psychologically, but physiologically to get off of it. If you're drinking a couple of cups a day, then sometimes women will have headaches. And like you mentioned, I, I jokingly say people talk about coffee, you know, giving them the get up and go, but it's like a different kind of go. And a lot of people are afraid to give up their coffee because they are afraid they're going to get constipated. And it's interesting. I think partly it's the coffee, but I think for a lot of women, it's actually the milk that they put in their coffee that's also irritating Mm. their bowels. So, you know, you take both of them out and then you're like, oh gosh, now I'm not going to poop. But there are so many things you can do like magnesium citrate that will get your bowels going. No problem for most women. Oh yeah. I can adjust to that. (laughs) I always just basically say, if you're not sure if coffee is affecting you or you're pretty sure it's not, but you can't live without it, then that's a good time to give it up for a good six weeks. And if you're having any hormone imbalances or sleep problems or, you know, what you would call adrenal fatigue, definitely nix the coffee for a couple of months. Let yourself recalibrate and then see if it's something that can be something you enjoy on a Sunday morning or maybe have decaf. But Otherwise, I think better out than in for most women. Yeah. And that's what I found personally. Like, I think it's a very individual thing. And for me, it was something that it was every day at least one cup. And I thought that I needed it to get kind of that like optimal brain function. But what came with that was inevitably a crash. And then the the upward swing ended up being too upward and the crash even bigger. And once I gave it up, it was like, my life is actually a lot better without it. It's and, really interesting, isn't it? Like I yeah. find that women are afraid their energy is going to go down. But after about a week, they're like, oh my goodness, I have more energy than I have had in years. Because the coffee, like you said, it gives you that up, but then that down that actually makes you tired. So they really do so much better with their energy without it. And also, I find for a lot of women, it seems like it's stimulating your brain, but it's almost overstimulating. Mm -hmm. And so when they get to that more steady energy, they actually find their focus much better and their clarity much better. And did you find that? Absolutely. I found it took a little bit of time, like my body had to get used to it. I've now come to learn that that like 3pm crash, I don't have that if I'm not drinking coffee. Totally. If it's like the week before I'm about to get my period, I find that my hormones are just making me sleepier. And if I honor that and literally take like an hour long nap, I'll feel so much better and it doesn't throw off my sleep cycle. That's what works for me. And just honoring when I need a bit more sleep and then the rest of the time I'm totally fine and I do not need 
caffeine or coffee to keep going. And it's it's been wonderful. I like can't believe I spent most of my life thinking that I absolutely needed coffee. And from time to time, I enjoy a decaf latte. So I don't get that like caffeine boost, maybe a slight one. But, you know, I love the taste of it. And so, you know, once a week, once every other week, I'll have a decaf latte and I love it. And I don't feel the need to do that every single day. So I love that. I love that you're listening to your body that way. And, you know, what you say about honoring that need for rest. I remember reading this quote from Jada Pinkett Smith, who said, when I need to rest, I rest. I don't need to be a superwoman today. And I think we... From the time we're little girls, we override what our bodies are telling us we need and we override our intuition too. And just that ability to say, okay, I'm going to hit pause for 20 minutes. I'm going to take a 20 minute power nap or if I can take an hour nap. Sometimes we just push past, but if we can stop and honor those little symptoms aren't there anymore. It's very cool. It is really cool. And I love that that's a message that you share. And I I love looking to you for inspiration and a reminder that I don't need to, you know, be a superhuman every single day or any day for that matter. So I'm just grateful to you for coming on the show. And if people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they do that? Mm, you can come over to my website, avivaram.com, or you can hang out with me over on Instagram at avivaramd, or my Facebook page, which is avivaramd also. Those are some of the ways to connect with me. And I do all my own social media personally. So if you're getting likes, loves, answers, that's really me doing it. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge. I'm truly so, so grateful for your time. I feel like I learned so much. And yeah, just thank you so much. Oh, thank you for a wonderful conversation and for being you and doing what you do. It's wonderful. So there you have it. Huge thank you to Aviva Ram for coming on the show today. As you can tell, she is just full of knowledge. I highly recommend her book. It was super informative for me. And if you guys have a feeling that something might be up with your body or if some of this resonates with you, definitely feel entitled to go and speak to someone about it. You know, go to your doctor, ask for these tests. Like Aviva said, you know, we're oftentimes told that so much of this is in our head and that we're making this stuff up, but women especially, and I'm I'm speaking to women right now because I know the majority of you are women, but you should feel entitled and empowered to take control of your health and to ask the questions that you need to ask. And if you feel like something is wrong, you absolutely should ask for the help that you need. So I hope that can be encouraging for you. I know this episode, you know, was full of information. So if you need to listen to it again and take some notes, I know I did that. So take whatever notes you need to take and go see your primary care physician and get the help that you deserve and that you need. And what's going on in my life? You know, the good old life update. I am actually heading to Toronto this week for Passover to see my family and to do some seders with my family as well as to catch up with some friends. So I haven't been back to Toronto in almost a year now, so it's been way too long, but I'm very much looking forward to being there. It's a short trip, so I'm not able to see everyone or you know have any kind of meetup like I had planned to do, and it's Easter weekend and all of that stuff. So I will definitely be back in Toronto sometime in the future, and if you guys want to see something like that, definitely let me know, and we will get something in the works. In other exciting news, I'm actually starting a weekly yoga class. So I'm going to be teaching at the Pad Studios, which is my primary studio where I train, and I'm teaching prenatal. And you might have heard me talk about it before, but I did my prenatal training and I absolutely loved it. And I love teaching new mamas or mamas-to-be, and it's just a practice that really resonates with me. I love connecting with women and 
and seeing them at all different stages of their growth, physically, mentally, emotionally. It's a pretty powerful experience, and I'm really excited to be teaching there full-time on Tuesdays, Tuesday nights, 6.15 p.m. So if you're a new mama and you're living in San Francisco, definitely come by my class. I would love to have you there, and I'll also be teaching the occasional other classes at different points, so stay tuned for more information on that. But yeah, I'm super excited for all of this, and there's just like lots of great stuff happening, and it's all just kind of happened because I let go of the reins and just let life dictate how it was supposed to flow, and it's been a pretty cool experience. So looking forward to that. So if you're in San Francisco or you know someone in San Francisco, definitely let them know because I'd love to connect with all my mamas-to-be out there. And a few other things I've mentioned before here on the show, but you can now more easily easily search the podcast archive. So if you head to thehealthymaven.com and click on podcasts, it will pull up all of the episodes and there's an easy checkbox on the side and you can click off the topics that interest you and it will pull up all the episodes relevant to those topics. So if you're new here on the show and looking to explore the archives and see what's out there, it's a really great opportunity to do that. Or if you've developed a particular interest in a topic, because I cover a lot of different topics here on the show, it's great to be able to check in there and and see what we've discussed here on the show. And same goes for actually all of the content on the blog. We've reorganized everything so that you can search by topic more easily. So if you're into clean beauty, you can head over to wellness and click clean beauty and there's all sorts of info on that. Same goes for, you know, CBD or cannabis or sleep or essential oils, you know, all that good stuff, whatever topic it might be, there is a category for it and it's super well organized and huge thank you to Tanya for helping me go through all of those and organize them because it took forever. And she's actually still going on the food categories. So if you go under recipes and things aren't fully finished yet, she's working on it because she is a champion. But yeah, I'm pretty excited about all the changes that have happened on the Healthy Maven to make it easier for you guys to navigate the content that is on there and also just updating old content to make sure it's refreshed and up to date and coming out with lots of new stuff. So Jess and I have been working really hard on some new recipes for you guys, which we're really, really excited about. One was inspired by a dinner that we had recently, and it was so delicious, and she's been working on that. And lots of really good stuff coming out. I recently wrote a blog post all about some natural skincare alternatives for Beauty Counter. I have a review of Whole Foods beauty products that are available and my thoughts on them compared to other things that are out there. And I actually found some really, really good stuff. So lots of good stuff coming out. Make sure you check in on The Healthy Maven so you stay up to date or subscribe to my email list. And of course, follow me on social media. I mainly share just kind of stuff that's happened in my life on social media rather than, you know, content that's coming out, though that that does happen from time to time. So if you want to see kind of that behind the scenes look, you can just follow The Healthy Maven. And if you want to keep chatting about things that come up here on the show, definitely join the THM Tribe. It's just facebook.com slash group slash THM Tribe. And you'll hear all about, you know, stuff we chat about here on the show, questions that people have that might relate to things on the show or things outside of the show, new events that are coming up, new videos, all that good stuff. So it's a really awesome place to be. And if you're enjoying the podcast and would love to give me the gift of a review, it would be awesome. Or if you just have feedback for me, it's a really great place to do that. So you can actually do it on your phone too. So if you use the iTunes app or whatever app that you use, just leave a review there. It goes a long way 
and it helps to bring awesome guests on the show. So I would be so, so grateful if you did that. And with that, let's chat about who's coming up next week on the show. So I'm going to be chatting with Kim Vopney, who is actually the vagina coach. And she's going to be chatting all about the pelvic floor, how we can take better care of our pelvic floors. You know, this is information that I have absolutely no idea why we don't know any of this and why this isn't readily accessible. But as soon as you listen to the episode, you'll be like, why is this not available? And share it with every single woman that you know, because it is essential that we know about this. So yeah, that's what we're going to be chatting about next week. So stay tuned for that. And I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful week if you're celebrating Passover or Easter or just getting some time off from work. I hope you enjoy it. Find time to relax, say no, say yes, and just find a good balance for you. And yeah, I will chat with you guys soon. Have a good one. Bye. 